heads down and bent over and defeated. And I ask her, do you think that these words come from a God who loves you? Is this God's word? Coldly, she answers, no. This is how it is. Any pastor who pastors people these days has stories like this. This is how it is. Paul is good, he is saving, he is right, he is useful. We are saved by grace through Jesus. Amen. Paul, then you get here. And Paul has gone totally off the rails. Or do you think it's us? The following is a sermon from Peace Lutheran, a church located in downtown Aiken, South Carolina. For more information and for more content, go to peaceinaiken.com. God bless your preaching. That's what she says. But this morning, my wife said something different. She always says the same thing every Sunday. But my wife said something different this morning. She said to me, you got this. Because she knew I was nervous. This is a teaching here from Ephesians chapter 5. This is what Paul writes. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, Love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless." In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. This is God's word. For many, many people... The Apostle Paul 
is a trusted and inspired apostle everywhere. He is trusted, he is loved, he is lauded until he gets here. For many, when Paul gets here, he goes off the rails. Now, the teaching is clear enough. The teaching for husbands and wives is that the husband and the wife have an interdependent and a complementary relationship to each other. The teaching is clear enough. Paul says to the Ephesian wives, you are to submit yourselves to your husbands in everything. And as if that weren't shocking enough to us, the Apostle Paul has an equivalency. He says, here's the equivalency. You are to reverence your husbands as you reverence Jesus. Of course, most of the time, when I teach this to people in Peace 101 or premarital counseling, I never actually get there. I have to do something much more rudimentary. Same thing when I do the teaching about the husbands in here. I wish I had so much more time to do the rudimentary thing. The rudimentary thing, of course, is that husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church. I'd love to just lavish that on couples. I really would. I'd love that to just lavish that. Like, this is what it means to be a man, men. This is what it means to be a husband, husband. This is what it, well, this is what it means. You are a protector. You are a provider, Paul teaches. You are to feed and you are to care for your wife. That's what it means to be a man. And that there's an equivalency, men. There's an equivalency. Husbands, how are you supposed to do it? You're supposed to do it as Christ does it. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's how you're supposed to do it. I would love to lavish that, but I almost never get there. Because what happens when I teach this is that a gray Paul falls over, to the, over the room. And before I get much further, I have to say to myself, as Christ once said out loud, I have much more I wish to tell you. But you cannot bear it right now. Because for many, many people, Paul simply goes off the rails. I'll be honest, I was tempted this morning to take the easy way out. Most pastors do. In fact, I'd tell you something about this, that there's a series of readings, we call it the lectionary. And for the entire summer, basically all of Christianity has been reading Ephesians together. You could have walked into a Presbyterian church or a, or a Lutheran church or a Catholic church and we're all reading the same stuff every Sunday morning. It's the lectionary. It's what we read. But unless faithful churches, they read and read and read along in Ephesians, but then they get to this part and you know what they do? They just don't read it. It's too much. Paul has gone off the rails. 
I've got an author that I was reading alongside this sermon series just for my own self, a guy by the name of Eugene Peterson, famous Christian pastor, famous Christian writer. He writes a book on Ephesians, wonderful little book, very sensitive, insightful comments on the book of Ephesians. But you know what he does with these verses? He says absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing about the most striking part of these verses to modern listeners. Nothing about the instructions to husbands and wives, nothing. It's too much. He must have thought it was going to hurt his book sales. I get it. I've had my own set of experiences with these verses. I had a friend at one time. I used to go run with him in the Hitchcock Woods. We got to be kind of close, and I was starting to get excited because he is somebody, a Christian, who had fallen away from the faith, and I was having a chance to witness to him, and so he asked me to do his wedding. So I sit down with him and his fiancée, and we go through the wedding service, and as a part of the wedding service, there's instructions to husbands and wives. We always read these verses. So she reads the verses, and before I ever have a chance to explain them to her, I'm not doing the wedding anymore. They walk out the door, and I haven't seen my friend since. I had it happen to me another time. I was in Peace 101. I read these verses. I just read them. That's all I do. I read them, and I look up, and I start getting berated. I had another time, somebody I had cared for, for years spiritually, for years. And I was so sad and so defeated as a pastor, I'm looking at her. My head's down, I'm bent over, I'm defeated. And I ask her, do you think that these words come from a God who loves you? Is this God's word? Coldly, she answers, no. This is how it is. Any pastor who pastors people these days has stories like this. This is how it is. Paul is good. He is saving. He is right. He is useful. We are saved by grace through Jesus. Amen. Paul... Then you get here. And Paul has gone totally off the rails. Or do you think it's us? I was thinking about that question for a few weeks now. Wondering to myself, what is it about these verses that makes a gray Paul come down in the room when you read them? What is it that seems so threatening to people? Is it that Paul is somehow providing cover for abuse? Is that it? No. Paul would be the first guy, I'd, I'd be the second one, by the way, to tell women who are in an abusive situation, you've got to get out. You are God's queen. Every woman is. You got to get out. 
This is not cover for abuse. Abuse is sin. Abuse is wrong. This has nothing to do with abuse. And, and I've sat with plenty of couples in premarital counseling. And every single one, every, every single woman who gets married, that they think of the guy next to him is, is second in the history of mankind only to Jesus. You know? He's not going to hurt her. So what is it? What's so threatening about this to people? Tim Keller is a, a man who is, at times, a very insightful, keen cultural commentator. I think one of the things he might say is it's not a threat to anybody's personal safety. What it's a threat to is their view of marriage. Many people think that marriage is about themselves, actually. It's about going into a marriage to have personal flourishing, to get more of what I want. I want want to have the house, and I want to have the kids, I want to have all this stuff. It's about personal flourishing, which is why whenever I go to to marriages, whenever I go to wedding receptions, what do you hear the bride and the groom say? They say, this is what she does for me, and this is what he does for her. And it's it's always all about their personal flourishing. And this is a threat to that, for sure. Because it's not about you, it's about the other. Eugene Peterson talks about this in broad terms. I call this the sin of meism. I just want I want what I want out of a relationship. Eugene Peterson calls this the sin of individualism. He writes this. Marriage and church are composed of relationships that are a bold assault on the individualism in both society and the church. The sin of individualism. The sin of wanting to have my own way with God, my own way with my spouse, and my own way with my children. Why is this a threat? It's a threat because of meism, because, because this is Paul telling you, you don't get to have what you want. Nobody gets to have what they want. The, the wife, least of all the husband, the wife gives, gives a lot less than the husband, if you think about it. The wife yields herself to her husband, but the husband gives everything. Everything he gives. This is, by the way, why husbands are just as apt to toss out these verses as wives are. Because husbands know it's got them nailed. Husbands know that never again when the big game is on and she comes home from Publix can they say, honey, just in a minute please. Because you are to give yourself wholly to your wives. Always. For their good. Always. Who wants a marriage like that? I'm I'm asking, who wants a marriage where you give yourself to your spouse? Who who wants to do that? Who who wants to be in a marriage where, where it's all about the other person? Who wants to do that? Who would ever give up their lives for somebody else except Jesus? I got a text from my little brother. He came and he preached here a couple months ago. He's a rookie pastor doing a great job out in Portland, Oregon. Got a text from him. He wrote this. 
He said, I'm feeling a little bit of disbelief this morning. A prospect I've been working a lot with got served divorce papers this morning. Because his wife wants to be a part of the movement of destabilizing the oppression of marriage. No other reason. Twelve years of marriage. I was thinking about that. She says that marriage is oppressive. She says that going home to the same person every night, sleeping with the same person, only that person, giving yourself in your life to another person, she says that that is oppressive. Is she right? Is she right? If your idea of life is getting what you want, if your idea of life, your highest value is pursuing your own desires, she's absolutely right. If that's your idea of life, there is nothing more oppressive than marriage. But this scripture, I might point out to you, actually isn't totally about marriage. It's an interesting little section of Ephesians, if you think about it. And we should notice that. Paul says it's not even mainly about Christian marriage. He says it's about Christ and the church. What he says is, is he calls it a great mystery And if in Latin we were translating it, we'd say that this is, marriage is, a great sacrament. We should talk about that for a second. Marriage as a sacrament. Of course, we'd say it's not a a sacrament with a capital S. We wouldn't say that. We only got two of those. Baptism is a sacrament with a capital S. S. Baptism gives you what it promises, the forgiveness of your sins. It's a sacrament with a capital S. The Lord's Supper is a sacrament with a capital S. It gives you what it promises, the forgiveness of your sins in Jesus' name. These are sacraments with a capital S. But did you know this? There's also a sacrament with a little s. That's what the confessions of our faith in the Lutheran Church teach. Marriage is a sacrament with a small s. It too is instituted by God. Actually, way back at the beginning of mankind. It too, when you're married, it has promises attached. Not for your eternal good, but for your temporal good. It too is a sacrament with A small S. Because it connects you, it reminds you of Christ. And the grace that God gives you in him. In fact, everything, everything, look at the section, look at the section, read the section. What's it about? What's what's it really about? What what is Paul mostly talking about? Everything that he says about husbands husbands and wives, he connects to Christ. 
In fact, most of what he says doesn't have to do with husbands and wives. It has to do with Christ and the church. This is why, this is why we get one of the clearer teachings in all of Scripture about holy baptism. Because Paul is talking so much about Christ and the church. What did Christ do for the church? He washed her. He washed her with water and the word. What does that accomplish? Paul tells you what it has accomplished. So that Christ could present you, the church, to himself. Not as, not as blamed, but as blameless. Not as unholy and sinful, but as holy, without stain, or without wrinkle, or without any other blemish. So everything that Christ is talking, everything that Paul is talking about is connected to Christ. Everything. Nothing is ever disconnected from Christ. This is the grace in marriage. I'd like you to think of the grace of God in the world then, based on that. Marriage is the fundamental building block in human relationship. It's the fundamental. It's not, it's not mother and child. As, as grace-filled as that relationship is, it's not. The fundamental relationship in human society, in human relationship, is marriage. It's the fundamental relationship. The fundamental This is the, the one relationship that God says should never fall apart is marriage. The relationship where God puts little tiny humans to grow up and learn what it means to be, to be a human being under God, this is marriage. And what does God put in marriage? Nothing less than Christ. Nothing less than an embodiment of the gospel. This is why Christians have been saying for centuries now that in Christian marriage, what you get a picture of is a foggy gospel. When husbands and wives live it out, you get a foggy gospel. It's a picture of Christ. None of this should surprise us, by the way. There's a little girl. She sees mom and dad. They clearly don't agree. But they do love and respect each other. And a little girl learns what it means to pursue oneness. There's a little boy. He sees dad. Mom comes home from the store. They're watching the big game. Mom says, honey, can you help me? And up dad pops. Because she is the queen. This isn't tyranny. This is love. This is what it means to be a man. This is what it means to honor a woman. This shouldn't surprise us. Because what Paul is doing is nothing less than rebuilding the world. He is reconstituting the world. And he is starting with marriage. Because that's where it first fell apart. That's why it comes here in this part of Ephesians. 
Paul took God's people and he filled them with the Holy Spirit. We talked about that last week. He filled them with the Holy Spirit. And the very next thing he does is he takes God's people who are now filled by the Holy Spirit, ready to do God's will, and he says, this is what God's will is. Wives, this is what God's will is. Husbands, he's reconstituting the world and he's starting with marriage because marriage is where it first fell apart. You remember the story. Human beings chose self-rule. God had his guidelines for how it was supposed to go. And they said, this isn't good. I know better. This isn't wisdom. This isn't life. I know better. It was unbelief. And so the first woman took over. And the first man lost his manhood and stood silent. And so for the first time in world history, a dark gray pall fell over everyone. But Paul knows the gospel. And so do I. Christ submitted himself. Did you hear me say that? Christ did. Christ submitted himself. That's not just an aspect of the gospel, and it's in a sense the gospel. Christ submitted himself. He submitted himself to the Father's plan. He submitted himself to the Father's will. He submitted himself to our salvation. He submitted himself to our rebelliousness and to the rod of our affliction. Christ submitted himself. Or to put it in Paul's language, which is far more beautiful than mine, Christ loved us. And he gave himself for us. That is sacrificial language. Christ gave himself for us. You know what he's talking about when he says that. He gave himself for us. How did he do it? He washed us clean. He's presenting us to himself as a radiant bride without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish. This is quite what Christ does. Think of all the things that he had to wash away and just revel in the grace of that. Think of what he washed away. He washed away our meism. He washed away our individualism. He washed away our self-rule, our doubt that God's plan and that God's wisdom, that God's blueprint is wisdom for our lives. He washed it away. So that we are still his bride. I read a, a story about a guy a couple weeks ago. It was a story about a guy who, after 40 years of marriage, still called his wife his bride. Because that's who she was. After everything they had been through together, she was his bride. After all the years that had settled on her, she was his bride. 
After everything, she was his bride. He couldn't see her any other way than the way that she walked right down the aisle to him. She couldn't, he couldn't see her any other way. She was still his bride. Just as you are. We are still the church. We are those who submit to Christ. We are those who believe that his way is the best way. We are those who go out into our lives and we live every single one of our relationships in connection to Christ. Every single one of them. You've got you to understand that's what Paul is doing here. He starts with marriage, but he doesn't end with marriage. He says, you, in, in, in marriage, you live out a relationship with Christ. Then as a child, you do that. As an employer and an employee, you do that. Every single one of your relationships in the Christian life is characterized not by the culture, but by your relationship to Christ. So let's be clear. Paul, Paul's not going off the rails here. Paul's on the Jesus train. You know what I say? All aboard. I don't think that means that everybody needs to be married, by the way. The church has always honored celibate single people. Always. In fact, in a certain sense, celibate single people have to believe more than experience marriage because they believe that Christ is their bridegroom. We honor you. And peace has our fair share of celibate single people. We honor you, single people. Not everybody needs to be married. But here's what I think it does mean. You, single people, including you children who are from broken homes, Come close to a Christian marriage in this church. Look into it as a window to glimpse the gospel in life. Christian husbands, you give yourself away. She is more important than you. You Give yourself away. Christian wives, let him see you respect him. Christian widows, Christian widowers, Christian divorcees who are here, grieve what you lost. And then remember that Christian marriage is not the ultimate reality. The ultimate reality is that you all have a bridegroom at the wedding feast of the Lamb waiting for you. 
In fact, let me expand that for a moment to all of you. All of you. Christian marriage is a foggy picture. We already said that. It's a foggy picture. It means everybody's experienced pain in marriage, struggling in marriage, and broken marriages in life. It's a foggy picture, which means that there's something not foggy. And that's your relationship to Christ. He is the bridegroom. And the good news is like I told you, the wedding is still on. The wedding is still on, not for a flawed lifetime, but for a flawless forever. The wedding is still on. I want to leave you with this image today. Can you imagine what it will be like? Can you imagine what Christ is going to feel in his heart when you walk down the aisle for the first time when he comes again? I can only imagine. But see, that's the thing. I can. Because God has given to humankind in general and to me in particular, marriage. I am a married man. And I still know what I feel when I look at my wife, she still makes my heart nervous. What a mystery. What a sacrament with a small s. But now I am speaking of Christ and you, his church. Let's pray. For Christian homes, O oh Lord, we pray that you might dwell with us each day. Make our place where you are Lord, where all is governed by your word. United in a bond of love, we lift our eyes to you above. From you we gain the strength to live, the wish to share, the joy to give. Amen. Please.